I hope that you were able to get a set of notes. Did you get those? At all? That'll, that'll help you. Uh, last week and this week, we've been looking at what the scriptures are sufficient to do in the heart of a child of God. Uh, what is their purpose? What are the effects that God intended to be done with the Bible in your life? It's uh, quite amazing to come from darkness to light and been in a new family. Uh, you become a new creation in Christ, but some things aren't new. You still owe the debt on your credit card, not to God. You still got four children, but you are a new creation, right? Some things didn't change, and you still don't know how to live in this present world. You're in, brand new in this family, just like a baby in this world. I, I don't have the tools for life nor existence. And so we are a people that understand that God's word, God's word will furnish, will supply, will be the sufficient uh, tools you need in the way of knowledge and skills. We looked at Quite a few last week. I want to just pick up again some other things, trying to highlight what the scriptures are meant to do in you and I. And we call this sufficiency. We don't depend on church tradition, like councils. We don't ignore them. There's been some great ones. But we basically run to the scriptures. What does God say? And then God, help us to understand what you say. I, I'm sorry to say, but it's, in all honesty, not all Christians agree on what it says. Okay? Not everybody agrees on what it uh, I think you ought to be baptized by immersion. There's a whole lot of folks going to heaven that don't believe that. And how much time do I want to fight with them about it? About that much. Okay? So we don't all, I think the future events go this way. They may differ. So, but we can at least say uh, the source of what we believe is our understanding of Scripture, right? And uh, that should always be growing. Sometimes I'll have people say to me, uh, you know what, you're taking a different view than what you said that. Back when I heard you in, uh, back here, uh, you got a different view. And I said, uh, is that okay? Well, no, if you said it once, it ought to be that one. Maybe I got more information. Have you changed your view on any verse? Did you have a view? <laughs> okay. Let's look at Psalm 19. The first six verses... He tells you that in natural revelation, God is speaking to us through the heavens, the sun, moon, stars, that he is a glorious, majestic God. And he's saying that creation shouts out his glory every day, every day. Romans reaches back to this. In Romans 1, it says, the whole world is accountable to believe 
that there is an eternal God and an all-powerful God to have made such a creation. So it's going from the end result, creation, heaven, stars, sun, going back. Must have been a great God, a majestic God, to have been able to do this kind of uh, artwork, this kind of a solar system, this kind of a majestic creation. So it shouts out. Then the writer changes, changes at verse 7, and goes from creation in this open book read by all to God's revelation in his written word. And he's talking, and he uses in this section about six synonyms. There's probably about 12 of them in Psalms 119. His testimony, his statutes, uh, his commandments, and he, all the same thing. And then he uses different adjectives, different verbs. What it is, what it does. What it is, what it will produce. And let's begin looking. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. It, no flaws. It, it's correct in all that it says. What effect does it have? Reviving or restoring the soul. God's word can restore your soul. A word from God. How does the shepherd talk? Sometimes you ask people, I said, how does God talk to you? And they can go, my, my, a hundred different ways. He, he tells me this. He tell, And I ask him, does, does he ever talk to you through this book? Can you hear the voice of the shepherd in this book? His word. And he restores. And that word restore means to turn around. Uh, sometimes it's used of the idea of repentance. He turns me around from the way I was going because sheep have a very normal habit of getting lost. They have a habit of straying. And he says, your word restores my soul. Think of what he said in Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. Same word. He restores my soul. And he begins to talk about water, green pastures. It's the same thing as his word. He wants to restore you by means of his word. Have you ever been in a situation and you didn't know which way to turn, what to do, and you got a word from God, a, a promise, a, a comfort, just his word. So he said, the word of God is designed to restore you. Listen to what David said in Psalms 51. Restore to me what I lost when I sinned. You know, when I was first saved, I didn't know how to get back to God when I sinned. I didn't know how. I thought you got saved and you landed in heaven. I didn't know that you can still sin and still be saved. Because I thought if you sin, you're not saved. Anybody grow up like that? So you need to go to the next revival and get saved. But I just got saved. Yeah, okay, I'll go to the revival. I got saved again, but I sinned within a week. And I, no, nobody showed me how to get back, how to get back. 
And then finally, someone said, confess your sin. You don't get saved again, again, and again. Confess it when you've done it. I said, oh, that's too easy. He said, it's the gospel. You don't re-crucify Christ. You don't need three atonements. You don't need three crosses. And if you think that you've sinned great enough that he can't forgive you, you're saying your sin is greater than what God did on the cross. And that's what he tells him in Hebrews. If you think animal sacrifices are equal to my son's death, you're committing an eternal kind of sin. My son is superior to animal sacrifices. Don't diminish what my son did. And so when I confess sin, guess what? I'm cashing in on the benefits bought for me at the cross. But I just needed a word from God, and it restored my backsliding after six months. It was simple, isn't it? Isn't it simple? You say, oh, boy, you must have been so ignorant. Yeah, I was. I was saved and didn't know what to do when I sinned. Do you think there's any Christians in that plight? Could come into church, I can't live it, I'm saved, and I blew it, and I'm saved. Well, they need to get into a perfect church where no one sins. They just all lie. Because John says, you're a liar if you say you don't sin. You're a liar, and you're making him a liar. Well, what, do you, what does he do when you're sinning? You're saying it's all right to sin? I'm saying that my advocate is working for me when I'm sinning. 1 John 2, 1, I write these things to you, brethren, that you not even sin one time. But when you do, he is advocating for you. When? Not after. Not before. Right when you're doing it. When did God start loving you? When you were coming to church or while we were without Christ, without hope, and while we were hating God, Christ died for us. We, our hang-ups don't keep God from being God. He already anticipated how many times you'd fall. You know, children aren't born in this world and immediately start running. They do have to have a lot of falling before they ever learn how to walk. And what about you? Have you did you ever think you were going to beat some of those early sinful patterns? Were you ever going to get over your language, get over your thinking, get over your wrong morals? How long did it take you to establish a walk? It's quite a process. His word will restore you. He'll turn you back and just bring you back. He goes on to say that his word makes wise the simple. Now, that's not a high compliment on you, but that he means it anyway. This word simple is one of the uh, Hebrew words for fool. But it was translated simple in Proverbs or naive in some translation. It was a word used of youth. Uh, this word often characterized youth. And, uh, but it had this idea, open to influence. That's what the word meant. It means just open. And so out of that being open to influence came the idea of gullibility, simpleton, easily deceived, uh, could be easily led astray here, there, because the mind was wide open to any influence, any uh, could wind up with wrong peers easily, could wind up in sin and behaviors. Just uh, we would call them stupid. Scripture called them naive, gullible. 
simpleton. And he says, the word of God, the word of God uh, is able to make you wise if, he, if you are a simple person. And guess what? Everybody was born naive. You don't start life knowing how to live life, right? That's why he gave Proverbs and told the mom and dad to invest it in them. The best youth group going in the Bible is called a mom and dad. The best. Mom and dad teach you morals. Mom and dad teach you right and wrong. Mom and dad teach. And you look at Proverbs, the things he has to teach this young Simple youth, uh, peer pressure. You don't run with the wrong people, Proverbs 1. Proverbs 2, have a thirst to discover how precious wisdom is. Proverbs 3, keep God central. Proverbs 4, fear God. Proverbs 5, let me tell you what a seductive woman will do and how she will trap you, my son. Chapter 7, stay away from her house have these kind of morals, and know if you mess around with her, it's going to burn you like coals. How many dads have ever taught a boy that? You teach this to your children. Teach them the dangers of drink. Teach them the dangers of running with fools. Teach them the danger of being around hot-headed people. Teach them the dangers of a bad, loose tongue. Teach them the dangers of... Uh, Oh, one thing, all these issues of life, because let me give you an example of knowing the will of God and our need for wisdom. Let's take a young man. Uh, let's make him 20, second year of college maybe. Uh, how does he know how to pick the right girl? A lot of things in the Bible, when you want to know God's will, are easy. They're uh, right, wrong. I mean, I need to pray, Lord, I want your will. I'm thinking about stealing this guy's car. Would you direct me? Now, those are absolutes. God has spoken. First uh, Thessalonians 4, be pure. Don't be immoral. He said, this is the will of God. I don't know whether to gripe or to be thankful. In all things, give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Have any of you got over griping? You need to get in the will of God. It's an absolute. But, but, now let's say I'm a Christian young man, okay? Uh, and I'm on camp at Bible college. Three beautiful young ladies. They, you know they've got to be beautiful. God wouldn't give you anyone that's ugly. So you know that's almost God's will. They've got to be beautiful. And so, who should I date? Who's the one that God, does God come down and emblazon, uh, you know, a dot on the, there's the one. Or, now, what we would ask if they said, you're dating a girl, we'd say, well, are they a believer? Oh, a believer. Okay, good. All three. All three. Which one should I marry? How, how'd you, how would you figure that out? Does God come down from heaven and tell you? Well, in wisdom, part of wisdom is making good choices and making the best choice. Could, uh, let's say out of the three girls, could you marry a girl and say, I really don't like what it chose, but 
it's going to have to be the will of God now? You could. You could, because God hates divorce. Jonathan Edwards uh, had a very difficult daughter, and uh, him being the father, he knew that. A young man was struck by her, came to Edwards, wanted permission to marry this girl, and Edwards said, no, I, I can't let you do it. And this guy began to make his appeal, and but I love her, uh, she's a Christian, and made his spill on why they, they meant for each other. And Edward said this profound thing. He said, my dear young man, just know that the grace of God can live with a lot of people you can't live with. I know my daughter, and you don't want to marry a whirlwind. She might be a Christian, but she can make you miserable. Do you know Christian marriages that aren't the sweetest place on earth? I don't expect any amens today. It's time for meditation. <laughs> don't show your hand. Wisdom, to have wisdom, how I spend money, who are my peers, marriage, uh, so many issues of life that I don't have a right or a wrong. The wisdom literature of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, how do I make money, spend money? Okay, that's a big issue in life. And how many young people start out with any knowledge of how to use it and not to be in debt all the time or be enslaved? He says, God's word can give you wisdom. And James said, ask for wisdom. And then James tells you, heavenly wisdom is sweet. It's reasonable. It's pure. It's righteous. You know, and so I look at some people. Everything is explosive. Everything's difficult. And, and you watch, an unwise person is always walking into a trap because they're not prepared for life. They're just not. I'll give you an example uh, I use this first service, and I think I lost them because they all went into shock. The, the Bible will give you a right set of prejudices, okay? And when I said, do you believe in prejudice? And people automatically say, oh, you're thinking of racial. No, I'm thinking of sin prejudice. Let's say it like this. He teaches son, don't go to her corner. She hangs out here. She dresses this way. She looks this way. She talks this way. I want to give you a prejudice. Don't get around that kind of environment. Prejudged. My buddies just said, let's go. And I didn't think a thing about it before we were busted, got drunk, and, and happened to be involved in a raid on a brothel. Well, Dumbo, Simpleton, did you not read Proverbs? What? That character would look like, what the place would look like. You should have prejudiced yourself against that kind of behavior. Do you have that prejudice before you even meet it? You don't get in it and figure out what you're going to do. It's like living on the edge of Niagara Falls and being 10 feet away and saying, you know, I, should, I really ought to get out of this river. It's a little late, honey. There's some situations you better prejudge 
I can't go there. The gravitational pull to sin, temptation is too strong. The Word of God is able to take a simpleton, those that are naive about sin and life, and give them the right set of prejudices of sin. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hang out with fools. Do you know what a fool is? Read Proverbs. He's always right. He always wants to fight. He's always angry. He's dangerous. I need to know what a fool looks like before I meet them. And that's what he's saying. It's just, that's the right kind of prejudice. I've been forewarned. I've been fore-equipped uh, to know that. And he says, my, my word will teach you that. My word will show you how to avoid a thousand pitfalls before you ever get to them. Wow. And isn't youth a dangerous time of how much stupid stuff you can do before you're 25 that you regret the rest of your life. Well, this is convicting. Let's keep going. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's Word was designed to bring joy to your heart by its promises, uh, by its instruction, by its guidance. And I think this joy is best illustrated. He goes on to say, it's like eating honey or someone giving you gold. That, that the Word from God is designed to just thrill you and make your heart burst. Uh, in the first service, uh, Jane Jones brought her mother up to me, who happens to be 88 years of age. Her husband's been with the Lord about two years. Uh, they both went to Bible college when they had four children, and she got pregnant while they were in Bible college, and she wanted to let me know. I said, guess how much money we owed when we left? She said, nothing. My husband graduated from college, and we had five children, and God kept us. And she said, I spend two hours every day in his word. I can't get enough of it. 88 years old. She said, it is like gold. It is like honey to me. And I see many believers, they're looking for something sweet in life. And they've got a book full of it. The news doesn't have it, let me tell you. If I hear one more thing wrong with Trump, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'm tired of hearing about Trump. I, I, man, okay, okay. So he and Putin are going to shoot a missile, okay. I don't know, but I know this is sweet. You'd do yourself far more good if you read a psalm before you turned out the lights than watching Fox News. What you think on before you go to sleep, why don't you think on something sweet? Think on something that's gold. What do you feed your mind? You know what Philippians uh, 4 said? Not to worry. And he said, well, don't, you ought to pray. You won't worry. But we forget verse 8. To, to have peace, you must think on the right categories. You must think on things that are good. Think on things that are sound. And let me tell you, right here, God's given you his word to nourish and to masticate in your mind during your sleeping moments because you're thinking all through the night. You're thinking what usually you did the last hour before you went to sleep. Why don't you put some sweetness in your soul? 
I haven't found many people who meditate in this book who remain sour. It will sweeten up even your temperament. This book. That's what he says. And then we keep on. He says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And I'll just mention passing. The eyes, once again, I've said it several times of late. Eyes is a Hebrew idiom. It doesn't mean he will give you 20-20 vision. You remember in Ephesians 1 and 3, may God open the eyes of your heart. May God enlighten your heart. You have eyes in the heart, in the core of your being, the way you take in truth, the way you respond. That's what he's talking to. And God's word will enlighten you. And that basically says he will get up here and form the grid by which you interpret life, and by which you interpret people. And bad eyes, Jesus said, evil, you have an evil eye. We used to wonder, I thought an evil eye, someone looked at you like that. No, no what, a, an evil eye is really perverted, perverted vision. You don't interpret the data right. You know, some people will always be guilty to you until you change the apparatus. How do you see things? I see it this way. Can we give you any more? No, I've made up my mind. It's that way. Okay. Can change perspective. The Bible is designed to change the way we interpret the data. You know, one of the hardest things in the world to do is to change adult opinions. You seldom can get an adult to change. That's why train your kid while they think you still know what you're talking about. Because <laughs> it won't be long, you won't be able to tell them anything. You know. You know what a sophomore is, don't you? In, in Greek, sophomore is made of two words. A wise fool. Sophomore, Sophia, moronic. And by the second year of college, they called it the sophomore. You know everything. So you're a sophomore. I know that's not complimentary, but that's just what the word means. That's where it came from. Look at T Timothy now. And we'll just briefly state the word of God when he's talking to Timothy, pastoring at Ephesus. He tells him, you've known the scriptures from a young boy, and they were able to make you wise about salvation. So where else? Are you going to take people to show them the way of salvation? How God plans to save them. And in verse 15, he said, you've known the sacred scriptures that make you wise unto salvation. That's why in our children's ministries, our VBS, over and over throughout the years, we present the gospel, the plan of salvation, the how-to. I mean, we do it with, uh, I mean, with our teachers over there, illustrations. We just did it at Easter. We do it at BBF. We keep telling young people, young people, young, here's the way of salvation. Here's the way. We can't save them, but we can tell them how to be saved. And so the scriptures, what other book can tell you how to be saved? What other book? Uh, we've got Carolyn's aunt and uncle, and we're going to bury their brother this next week, no doubt just went home to be with the Lord. Uh, 
Tell me what do you want read when you're burying your loved ones? You got a sure word? He's saved to the bone. Knew Christ for years. Hey, it's the way to be saved. How, how can you? I talked to this young boy. I said, man, come to church with me. Uh, I'm too busy. He must be at least 25, you know, running the world practically. Why, why, why not come? What are you going to do when you die and you stand before God and you will die and you will stand before God? I don't care if you voted Democrat or Republican, you're going to be there. And God's neither. God's holy, righteous, the righteous judge. And he's going to say, what did you do with my son? Well, I never knew how. Did you ever study? We had a young man uh, years ago, Matt Fernandez, uh, uh, Susie's brother. Uh, it was around Easter time. He's going to Contra Costa College. Grew up as a Catholic boy, St. Joseph in Pinole. Uh, became curious about the resurrection and curious about the Easter thing. Didn't even own a Bible. Went to Contra Costa College Library. Checked out a Bible. I think he'd seen a film, maybe Ben-Hur or something like that. And he checks out a Bible to read it. And guess what? Comes to Christ. This man must be from God. This, this must be true. And then he started working on his brother Steve. And Steve said, I want to beat you up if you don't get out of my bedroom. I'm not interested. But in time, God saved them all. We got the book that tells you how to go from earth to glory. This is it. And you can know, I, you won't dare miss Steph today. Because that's life-changing. I plan to see it, I think. But so what? So what? How can it save anybody? If we took your Bible away, could you tell someone how to be saved? That you know what to quote at a funeral. That's in your heart. That you know for sure. Well, he goes on to say, the word of God is profitable, and it's profitable for what we teach. Let me ask you this. What has shaped and determined what you believe today? Uh, is it the Lord told me so, or do you have a chapter and verse? Do you know so? Do you, do you know so? Can you, do you have a sure foundation in his word? Uh, we used to sing a song, my anchor holds in the storms. And the storms of life come and go, but my anchor holds. My anchor holds. And so what, what I know about God, sin, hell, judgment, uh, this form, our teaching, this is the source of it. So old confessions went this way. The word of God is the basis for what we believe and what we practice. So that says it all. Then he goes on to say, the word of God is sufficient to reprove me. Now, what do I need a reproof for? The word means to convict me or convince me. And the idea is going to court that it can produce enough evidence to my mind of why I should do something. You remember John 16, that the Spirit would come and he would convict the world of sin, 
righteousness, and judgment to come. doesn't mean everybody in the world gets saved, but the Spirit rallies the truth, rallies the information to the mind. Your sin of rejecting Christ is an eternal sin. You need the righteousness that comes from Christ, and there's judgment following, and the Spirit, He works to present that to the human mind, to convince, to convict, to convict, but it doesn't always mean a conversion. There's many a person who's come under conviction who was never saved because they can reject it. They can turn away from it. But they felt the tugging of God. They felt the evidence rallying to their mind. And he says, the word of God is designed to convince you and I of the right way to go and maybe to address wrong thinking in our mind. This is the basis of the conviction, the word of God. Ah, he goes on to say, it's capable to correct you, which means once it points out your problem, it offers the solution to set you up, to straighten you up, and so that it is the vehicle that God uses to shape us. Then he goes on to say, it will train you in righteous ways to live, basically. It will train you in the right way to live. Um, it is so refreshing to meet a Bible Christian. Not people who own a Bible, but people who know the Bible. People who study it and take it seriously. Uh, and he says, they will be trained for righteousness and they will become competent and outfitted for every good work. Will God let you reach the intended goal he has for you if you remain ignorant of his word? Will you have the ministry? Now, are you able to argue his word? Have you been equipped? And, and the word here for, uh, actually the word for equipped is a word that was used of completely outfitting a wagon or to outfit a rescue vessel. It, it has all the gear, all that's necessary. And, and let me just ask you today, uh, if 10 people came up, wanted to be saved, and we called you out of the audience, would you be able to lead them to Christ? Would you be able to tell them? Is that asking too much? Do, I mean, do you need to go to Harvard to do that? No, no, no. Or, or wait, 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 we got an emergency. The fifth grade teacher's sick, and, and I'm addressing 30 men, and so we got 30 men raising their hand. I'll do it. I know the word. I'm ready. Go. Or I haven't been gifted to teach. Have you been gifted to learn? Have you been gifted to learn? You remember the Bereans? They, now listen, listen. If Paul the Apostle was preaching today and you were a Berean, you'd go home and you'd study all afternoon his sermon to see if it was in keeping with the Word of God. Now, how many of you plan to do that? Now, just go home, get a Bible, say, yeah, he said something. I didn't like it. I want to check that out. I remember years ago I said something. Chuck, and I was in Hebrews. I said about Christ intercessing or 
didn't state it right. They came up to me like, no, no, do you know you state it? It's really this way. Thank you. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> no, but they just came up because they were listening. They were following, and, and they weren't dumb. But I'm, I'm telling you, how do you know you wouldn't be deceived if the Antichrist started a church in our community? Do you think the Antichrist will be dumb and won't be able to deceive? He's a great deceiver. And what's your grid? What's your grid for truth? The grid. Hey, they say this about Christ, but the Bible says this. They say this about how to get to heaven, but the Bible says this. I'm not trying to make you a minister, a pastor. Get over all of that. I'm trying to see you be what God intended and why he gave you the word, and that we ought to get over this infantile stuff. Well, I don't know enough to do anything. That is baloney. That's baloney. God does not want his sheep to be stupid and gullible and to be deceived and to be taken advantage of. So he's given you a grid. He's given you his word that will bless you. He will correct you and instruct you while he's letting you eat the honey and discover the gold. And this is the rich treasure that I wish for every believer. I, I've been in the church for years, all my life, because I was there even when I wasn't saved. But I must say, I've met so few on the journey that treasure his word, love his word, and can tell me his word. You know, uh, sometimes the most criticism I get in the church is non-biblical. They don't have a verse. They just got an opinion. You're doing something I don't like. Maybe I don't, but we, that's why we're doing it. You got a verse. You got a verse. Because I tremble before this book. I'm not above. You know what? We are not popes. We... We stand under the word. If the book says this, and I say anything different, shoot me, not this book. You hear me? I've been here 45 years. You've been here how long? If you don't know what I believe by now, you haven't been listening. You haven't been listening. You'd ask Chuck, a lot of Baudier, you want to know how many CDs we've published. John Ross has gone through our tape library, and he's gone all the way to 1975. So if you want some sleeping stuff, just buy some of our CDs. Play it before you go to bed. What does the, and I want this for you. I don't want you to be beat up. I want you to be hungry for honey, hungry for gold. Some of you are poor in your soul. You're starving for a good word. You've been through bitter trials. You've had bitter relationships. You've had broken. Guess what? This is a healing book. It will, it will restore you. It will restore you. It will restore you. 